right, welcome to Pop Culture 5. It's your boy, Jeremy Dove. I'm here with my main man, Thomas Senna. Thomas, how you doing, man? Hello, sir. Things are going well today. Happy. We're, we're recording this a few days before Christmas. We're recording this in holiday season, so uh, so it's a nice time. Absolutely. Friends and family, and I associate our topic today with like spending time with friends and family and staying at home and and watching certain things with friends and family so this is like kind of it really i relate it to the season yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and uh this one you know we're we're looking at for everyone listening hbo original series and i said it at the end of like our previous episode it surprisingly kind of like hit me in the feels when hbo max the streaming platform was like we're just going to be max yeah and i was like what like wow like you're gonna take off that title because like what it means you know what hbo has meant for a lot of people over these years of like the quality of television and the quality of programming and and issuing in you know golden ages of television and to like remove that or not take pride in that and to me thomas i'm like i would want that in front of it but to try to remove it was just kind of like disappointing and sad and makes me wonder like are people starting to go away even more from like just good quality you know television and just good quality entertainment no i agree with you uh, that for some reason that hbo and even like the old hbo logo as opposed to like even when they switched to hbo max i kind of so, something about that like i don't know just made me feel like some part of my childhood was yeah <laughs> probably sound ridiculous it's uh it's far like i know people say like oh this movie came out and it ruined my childhood or whatever but uh i, I don't know it felt like because the because the old hbo logo the hbo if you look up on i still do this on i've done this on youtube is i've looked up old hbo like theme songs like the intros to the movies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it takes me back to when i was like nine or ten years old about to watch a movie and hearing a certain theme song like i i got like a visceral nostalgic like i got chills yeah i get chills going back and watching and listening to those old hbo intros and theme songs Now we're talking about original series, but uh, you know HBO obviously known for its originals, but also just you know different sports and things like that, and even seeing like hey, real sports with Brian Gumble come to an end, and that quality of journalism. Or if you go on YouTube, you'll see like I guess it was 2018 for HBO Boxing, and that was the standard for so long. Mm-hmm. But when they had the final fight for HBO Boxing. And how emotional those announced Jim Lampley and Roy Jones Jr., Max Kellerman, and then like seeing all the great fights and and everything, the great fighters. And I'm like, wow, so many of these fights I remember watching with my dad. We're going to the neighbor's house, and I'm like the young kid, but I'm staying up late to watch them. And I got emotional, like legit, when I saw that five years ago. I had tears, and I remember showing it to my dad, and it surprised me. He had tears because it just brought back so much. And just so many memories. So it's it's just crazy, like, 
and that's not what we're talking about, like the boxing or sports, but yeah. what this network, the emotions it brings, I totally get you, man. You talk about boxing, uh, that, that was a big thing. Uh, I follow it less so now, and I attribute that. I attribute my interest in boxing like in the 90s to HBO. Yes. To, to yes. it, Eric, making it appointment television. I must have watched Julio Cesar Chavez box count 50 times. He fought so many times. It seems yep. like he was boxing on HBO every two months. So he became known. I remember watching when George Foreman made his comeback. That was on. Yeah. We were watching as a family, Jeremy, when Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield, when Tyson bit it, Evander Holyfield's ear, we were, as a family, we were watching that as it happened. Me too. Me too. You were? Yeah. That was and a day I before remember, my birthday. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember pointing it out. Like I knew something was up because of the way Evander was reacting. And I, I pointed out, I was like, did Mike, I think he bit him. And then some people were like, no. And I'm like, no, like if they show a replay. And so they did. And then all hell broke loose. But that was on HBO. Like, yeah, HBO boxing is part of that, like, sentimental mentality. I'm from Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. And one of the big Albuquerque events in the whole 90s was in 1997 when Johnny Tapia fought Danny Romero. Yes. In 90- yeah, that was that was a huge deal. Uh, in Albuquerque in New Mexico, you were either, who are you rooting for? Are you a Danny Romero guy? Or are you a Johnny Tapia guy? And HBO broadcast the Romero Tapia fight, and the whole state of New Mexico shut down for that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And and it, you know, even though we're going to focus on the original series, mm-hmm. it all connects because that in these past fifty years, what HBO has done is brought all of us as like the viewer as the, the viewers. They brought us unique ways and just quality ways to deliver television. And you weren't seeing it any other way. And it wasn't just going to be the status quo. They were going to be different. They were going to be unique. And you were seeing something that you couldn't see anywhere else. And it wasn't just, oh, this is how we get the ratings. It was like, what's the best way to present this to the audience? What's the most different way? And we're going to trust the people we hire, the directors, the writers, the actors. We're going to trust them to do that for us. And it was like, man, you're not getting that anywhere else. No, no. And they, they put the major networks on notice. Yes. Too. I know starting, I mean, they had original programming in the 80s. Starting, mm-hmm. I remember as a kid watching not necessarily the news and the, things like that. And, uh, and they had original programming. Up there, but there was a pivot point, and we might get to one of these shows, but in the late 90s or so, where they seriously started putting pressure on the networks by HBO committing to their own original series and original programming that changed the whole scope of television and how we watch shows and introduced the term prestige television right and and all of that so that you could look no further honestly than than hbo really committing to that in the 90s and turning turning the whole television world on its face they really did It, it changed everything and i even got the book you know james andrew miller he wrote the the oral history for snl he wrote the oral history for espn uh it was really cool that he did hbo i I guess it was in 2022 it came out and i read that book you know tinderbox and it was something just like wow like these guys in wilkesbury pa it's about like two two and a half hours from where i'm at but like it's a small town and wilkesbury pa is where like you know HBO started for sports fans, you know, James Dolan's father was a part of it. And James Dolan, owner of the Knicks, is not the most popular guy. <laughs> but like, you know, it's it's just crazy how they started and just how certain certain 
guys who led and ladies who led like leaders of programming and they were bold enough to say we're going to trust these artists we're going to go against the grain because they just wanted quality you know television quality product and a lot of times it was that outside the box thinking that gave us all this great content that we're going to get into yeah 100% it's been so influential it was influential on me in terms of me getting into movies and my yeah. movie taste so i know yeah uh, we're talking about original programming, so the movies they showed, well, by and large, weren't HBO originals, even though they did have some. But as far as me getting into movies as a kid, Jeremy, I must have watched every movie that came out in 1987 specifically on HBO. Like really? any dumb movie that, that that you could think of, if it came out in 1987, I watched it on HBO. I don't know why. 1987 they must hbo must have had the rights to every movie that came out that year but specifically in my mind i associate hbo with movies from 1987 that's funny yeah it's kind of it's it's weird so so i i I, I, as a kid i used to watch a lot of the movies that a lot of the newer movies that get would get released i was able to catch up on like older movies trading places Mm -hmm. uh, things like that would come on hbo and i would watch it so, so it really helped me decide what I like and dislike as far as movies go. I watched a lot of that stuff on HBO. My mom would take me to the movies a lot, so she was a big okay. influence. She and I would go together and, and watch movies in the theater, uh, but then I was able to see movies on HBO that I wouldn't have norm- normally watched. I watched Kramer versus Kramer and Ordinary People on HBO as a kid watching wow. those two movies. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, I think the first movie I remember watching on HBO that was like I'm too young to watch it but it's so cool was uh was True Lies. True Oh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, and Arnold yeah. and, and you Arnold, know, Schwarzenegger yeah. and Tom Arnold in there and and I don't know, I mean I think True Lies, I'll be honest, I think still is a good movie, yeah. but I like it a lot more I know because I remember like my brother like hey come on let's watch it like you know sneaking like late at night and we're watching True Lies and I'm just like oh wow like Arnold's chasing him on a horse that's crazy <laughs> like you know all those different things like yeah. one thing I learned about you by doing this podcast is Jamie Lee Curtis was a very influential person on Young Jeremy. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> on purpose sometimes and sometimes not it, on purpose right. but um you know it it was listen to the Eddie Murphy episode I believe if you <laughs> Exactly need a reference but uh definitely if there's some moments i can't forget jamie lee curtis was a part of like kudos to her kudos <laughs> jamie lee <laughs> appreciate you but um you know i was even thinking about traveling like as a kid like getting in the car with the family and going by different hotels and motels and on the sign it'd be like we you know this is the price and we have HBO. Like yep. that was always like a marketing thing. Is like we have a, and I was like, that's good. They got HBO. Like we should go to this hotel. They have HBO. Like you know, as a kid, not I'm not paying for anything. So I, you know, that's it. HBO is the difference. Let's go exactly. there. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> but Thomas, you know, you always like to have like the 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 one question. I have a question for you, and it could be kind of tough to answer, but. They've had so many different kind of series on here, but if there's maybe one or a couple of like things that stick out, like what sticks out, like a, a, a characteristic that's like, oh, that's an HBO show, like. Oh man, that's a great question. I think with the comedies, I think a lot of it was how clever they are. Mm. Even in the early '90s, there, there's one I'm considering, so I don't know if I want to like. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha, you. Yeah. 
But there was a famous comedian that had a HBO show in the early 90s. It was just so clever. It's not, it was something like you had never seen. There was a sketch show in the early 90s with Bob, Bob Odenkirk and David Cross. Mm-hmm. Super clever in and of itself. So I think with the comedies especially, there was that, that, that cleverness. The writing was like elevated. And, and, and as a comedy nerd myself, even dating back to when I was a kid, I gravitated toward, toward that wit that it seemed that HBO really put on a pedestal. So, right. so that's just the comedy side. Now, with like the dramas and the other things, uh, HBO always had a st- distinct look, and I think that's probably I don't know for a lot of different reasons. Um, but it's a look that maybe I can't articulate. But it was more uh, polished and earthy at the same time, in, in kind of an interesting way. If I if, if I go look at like those early Sopranos seasons or the wire there's like a specific sharpness to it but also like not too because nbc programming has sharpness to it but it's a very colorful colorful palette good point but hbo had a more toned down palette but there was still like sharp and crystal clear as opposed to like the other ones like showtime looked their productions looked more amateur in a way Mm -hmm. like even though they weren't so there was just that like sharpness of how their original HBO's original programming actually looked. It was colorful, but not too colorful. It was just almost just seemed like it was the standard as far as how something should look to me. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. I, I agree with your point. That's a good point about how like the look of an HBO show. I think for me, whether it was comedy or a drama or a docu series or a documentary, whatever the case, it was pushing the boundaries. And I know, like, the obvious thing people may say is, like, well, yeah, you can curse on there and nudity. And it's like, sure, that's, that's part of it, but it's beyond that. It's the different ideas. Like, it was like, man, who else would come up with that in any kind of form? Like, I remember when uh, the show, and forgive me if, uh, if you, I don't think you're going to say this one. I have no idea, but if you do, I'm like, my bad. But, like, the show In Treatment, where it was like, hey, like, I don't know if you remember that show, but when that premiered and just being like, I was like, that's just amazing. Was that, that a reality were, show? That was a, like a drama, but it was... Oh, it was a drama. Okay. I don't... Yeah, I never really It was really like five watched, nights a that. week, yeah. okay. and they were having like this... I forget the actor was playing a therapist, and each night, like a, other actors were playing somebody, and they're like the patient sitting on the couch. And it's like Monday, you have this one, okay. Tuesday. And I was just like, yo, that's so creative. That's so different. Who else would do that? Who else would think of that idea? And then who else would have the guts to say, we're going to air it? And it was just so many different things like that, that I'm just like, man, like that just hits. And I'm like, they just pushed a boundary where it's like, you know what? We're not going to take the easy way out. If it's hard, we're going to jump in even more. And that's what I loved about HBO. That's a great point. And to to your point too, about you referenced a show that I didn't, I forgot about. Yeah, and I didn't even really consider, but there's, but with with HBO programming, there was something for everybody. Absolutely, whether you like comedies, dramas, reality shows, uh, something a little more adult oriented, something for kids. Mm-hmm. They had a, a sketch comedy. They had like all sorts of. You can find it on HBO, and then they started doing their own original movies, uh, and 
I uh, considered, so I had like a start off with a list of things that I would consider even for like a couple seconds. Yeah. So I looked at, you know, I looked at the list of HBO shows and I typed out everything that I would consider. So out of out of all the shows that I've watched or all the programming that I've watched, I, I considered 28 of them. And yeah. then there were six of them that I've never seen, but I know that other people really hold them in high regard. So there were all, 34, almost 35 choices on my list that I had to kind of narrow it down from there. So that mm-hmm. speaks to just like the the sheer quantity and quality of stuff they've done over the years. Absolutely. I think you know, for our our early history of doing this podcast, I don't know there's a topic that like is so you could go all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know, with your choices. I think there's really like to me a couple of like locks almost. Yeah, there's, there's probably not a that couple many. obvious ones like yeah, you remember our Spike Lee episode, like, Do the Right Thing, yeah. and to a certain extent, Malcolm X. Like, those were, like, the, the obvious ones. And there might be a couple of them here, but I think you're right. But I think there's just, you may have one or two, and then the rest, you could go so many different avenues with it. I think the hard part for me for this was there's been a lot of stuff in the past, let's say, decade, the past, like, 10 years, that I'm like, oh, man, like, Am I going to is a recency bias like it's instant classic, but like should it does it bump something else? It was really hard to be like separated and being like, is that is it ready to be an essential HBO show right, right. now or it needs to breathe a little bit more? Yeah, I, I considered everything from nineteen in the early eighties mm-hmm. <laughs> to twenty twenty three. Honestly, so I try not to. I think um it's easier for me to put current things into perspective. I think more so than a lot of people. I know we, uh, uh, our our friends at the Saturday Night Network were doing like their cast member countdown, and yeah. they were talking about how hard it is to evaluate current cast members in the show's history. And I didn't, for some reason, I kind of disagree with that. With me, I don't have to take a step back to evaluate even something that's really recent because I, I in my mind, I could compare it to that uh, past thing. And know what my tastes are, know what to look for, and say this current thing lives up to that, so it belongs in the conversation. Yeah, I, I think for me to to say this this present thing or near close to the present is a great or it's a classic is not hard for me. Mm. But then to put like that exact ranking sometimes is yeah. where I'm like I gotta sit there and think like you know what I mean that that that's where it's tough. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But so for those who first time listening and those who've listened before, so as the host for this week, I'll have three. Thomas has two, but Thomas gets the veto power. So uh, Thomas may just be like, you know what, that answer, nope. And then close. I have to come up with another one. few times lately, I've been close. You've been close. You've yeah. been close. I'm putting you on notice. I know, right? I know. I'm re- I'm ready for it. I'm I'm okay. I'm like it's going to come sooner or later and I'm like I don't I'm just curious of which one it will be. It might be this one. I have no idea, but I'm just like, all right, I'm getting my mind right. <laughs> or we'll be you doing know? an episode 2 years from now and say it'll come sooner or later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so people will be like, "No, it's it's never coming." <laughs> <laughs> so talking about the obvious ones. I'm going to get the obvious one, at least in my opinion, out mm-hmm. the way. I have to look at something that we talked about recency or in the moment feeling like this is something different. As a younger person, when this show broke, I felt everything changed for TV. 
I felt everything changed for HBO in a lot of ways. I remember, it, you know, on Sunday nights, this show would air. Monday morning, I'm riding the bus to school, and the, the one of the stations that would play, like, you know, the pop music, they would have, like, Monday mornings, they're recapping the episode, and they would have the bleeps in there, but they're talking about the character. I knew these characters before I watched the series because everyone was talking about it, and I, you just kind of, in the moment, saw everything change. And that's the Sopranos. I wouldn't call this the greatest HBO show, but I might have to, and we're not ranking our list, but I might say the most essential, I think, The Sopranos. And I think when people think of HBO, the first thought that comes into the mind is The Sopranos and Tony Soprano and James Gandolfini, who gave maybe a Mount Rushmore performance in TV history of playing Tony Soprano. Like, just unbelievable what he did with that character and when you say someone really owns a character, I can't picture anyone else playing Tony Soprano besides James Gandolfini, like the late, great James Gandolfini. You know, you asked me the other day what Irene's cousin has that you don't have. And I thought about it because it's a pretty good fucking question. And yeah, she's sexy enough, even with the one pin gone, but that's not it. I could converse with her because she had something to say. I am here. I have things to say. Besides bring the fucking chairs down and did you sign the living trust? She's a grown fucking woman who's been kicked around and she's been on her own and she's had to fight and struggle. This show just really ushered in the, that second golden age of TV and really looking at that anti-hero character and stepping it up a notch and to me just really changing what you can do in this medium of television, just merging the mob family with his own family and then the factor of the, the therapy and Lorraine Bracco playing Dr. Melfi, it just blows my mind what they were able to do with it. Um, to me, it's 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 one of the great and influential shows ever, but I think it's the first thing you think of when you think of HBO original series. The Sopranos might be my favorite show of all time. Mm. So, of course, I'm not going to veto it. Yeah. Uh, I think I would say it's the greatest show of all time. I waver between that and another one. Yeah. But for me personally, and sometimes it just depends on which one I had rewatched more recently. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that was amazing. But I, I kind of think, I do think maybe The Sopranos is the, is the greatest show I've ever seen. And just the, the premise, the, uh, first of all, of a mobster going to therapy and telling the, the therapist all the stuff that he can't in that culture, in the mob culture, he can't ever share with anybody lest he reveal weakness. And Mm -hmm. that's the number one thing that you don't want to reveal. So he's going to do it behind closed doors in therapy. We realize, I mean, Tony Soprano didn't learn a damn thing in therapy, but (laughs) yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's, that's, and I'm glad, I'm glad it kind of played out that way. Like I'm really glad it's not, wasn't the type of show where it was like Tony's cured and he changes and, and that, you know, we, we find out so much about him and that type of person the circumstances that led to Tony being the way he he was, mm-hmm. 
it was done in such a just such an amazing delicate way like there was a lot of thought like david chase and then put a lot of thought into this and uh, judging you know i i i saw the pie you know i've seen the pilot a few times but but they could have easily turned it into more of a cartoonish show a traditional thing about the mob because there are elements in there if you watch the pilot it could have gone yeah either way there was a scene where tony and chris chase somebody on the street mm-hmm. And like doo-wop music was playing. I'm like, okay, well, this is kind of similar to any uh, stereotypical mob show that I've ever seen or whatever. But then they made the distinct choice to like really flip it and turn it into something uh, truly brilliant. So we mentioned Tony, but there's just so much depth to this as far as other characters, side characters, his family, his kids. And there's probably so much that we could get into that doesn't have to do with with Tony Soprano, but just sure. I, I've rewatched this show three times. I think I'm probably due for my fourth pretty soon. Honestly, in 2024, I bet I'll watch it again. Yeah, but this is a this is a slam dunk <laughs> essential. Oh, I, I I think whenever and I still always will meet people who are like I'm going to start. I'm going to do a binge or start you know my watch of The Sopranos the first time. Ooh. There's a jealousy. It's like oh man, I I remember my first time. You know, I'm, I'm like back in 2002, got those DVDs the first. You know, I remember mine. Like it, it's just to me. There's one thing. It's definitely the top five greatest shows. Top three maybe. Yeah. There's no like oh man, if you say it's number one in my for looking at me, like I totally hear you. It's just the different characters, like you said. Like I really just look at how the balance of it, the balance of the stressors with the home life, the stressors with the mob life, and then just even the family dynamic, the relationship he had with his mom and how toxic that was. Before you do any more serious damage to yourself or your grandchildren's inheritance, you're going to stop living alone right now. I'm not going to that nursing home. Green Grove is a retirement community, and it's more like a hotel at Captain Teeb's. Who's he? Captain owns luxury hotels or something. I don't know. That's not the point. The point is, I talked to Mrs. DiCaprio over there, and she says she's got a corner suite available with a woods view. It's available now, but it's going to go fast. Of course it's available. Somebody died. Oh, my, you got to stop. You got to stop with this. This black poison cloud all the time, because I can't take it anymore. Oh, poor you. How, like, conflicting with his uncle, uncle with yeah. his sister. Like, it was just so, like, just different. And, like, man, they held nothing back. And, but at the same time, Thomas, and I'm, I don't want to speak for you, but as, like, intense and heavy as it could be, some hilarious, like, moments. Like, I think the Pine Barrens episode, maybe one oh, of the yeah. funniest episodes I've ever seen in TV history. Yeah, hilarious. The interaction between Chris and Polly. So great. It, 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 they were all like uh, Abbott and Costello kind yes. of duo like, in Pine Barrens. <laughs> that was such such a good episode. So I'm going to talk fast. The guy you're looking for is an ex-commando. He killed 16 Chechen rebels single-handed. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, nice, huh? He was with the Interior Ministry. Guy's some kind of Russian green beret. You're not going to believe this. He killed 16 Czechoslovakians. Guy was an Interior decorator. This house looked like shit. Christopher Maltesanti probably contributed to like a lot of uh, a lot of the comedy. Paulie was hilarious. Paulie was so great throughout the whole series. Yeah, there were just yeah there were a lot of funny things that would like there were like release like pressure release valves like things would get really tense and then 
let's go to Polly dealing with something lower stakes, like much lower mm-hmm. stakes, some little random beef that he had. Uh, let's see Polly handle something in his mom's senior, his mom's assisted living place. Right. That turned kind of dark, but it was like dark comedy. I mm-hmm. think I think that right. storyline. Uh, but and then you had stuff that really sticks with me from an emotional level, like uh, like Adriana. I mean, I don't know what are we. I don't know how we are about spoilers here, but just things it's, things something revolving around Adriana, her relationship with Christopher, how that how that kind of gets resolved. Uh, it was really emotional for me. There's a, a, a lot of a lot of different things. And I'll say this: I remember the attention it got that finale. Yes. And how controversial it was, that last like scene and how it ends. And the moment, I'm not going to lie, I, I didn't think it was bad, but I was like disappointed. As time is going on, I love it more and more for me personally. I think mm-hmm. it was like just a brilliant way to end it. That guy who's in that last, I know we're about spoilers, but the guy who like you're not sure about. The members only jacket. Yes. Yeah. Uh, very, I'd say from where I'm at, owned a pizza shop about 10 minutes away from where I'm at. No right kidding. Now. Yeah, yeah, really? came like a local of the local, like a little thing for a little bit. Like he was that guy. He owns. He I don't know if he still owns it, but he owned the pizza. Did he have memorabilia or? Anything? He had like, the, like a couple papers and stuff, and then right. like he kind of got like no pun intended mobbed around. <laughs> you know, like when that broke because people uh-huh. were like, "Hey," because you would kind of see him. Yeah, it wasn't one of my. It wasn't like no, my I top picture him right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it wasn't like my top pizza plate, but I would go sometimes. So I'm yeah. like, I do know that guy. Like, yeah. And it was him. <laughs> and probably, I say 10 minutes, probably like five from like like my parents' house. So it was like really close and it was really cool. Like, so I, so not because of that, yeah. but <laughs> I still do think like it was a brilliant choice the way they ended that finale. I agree. I love the finale. I know a lot of people who did. I think my mom is still kind of like, eh, I don't really, I didn't really love the finale. I don't know, but I, I thought it was brilliant. And I, th- I thought it, the purpose of it was to showcase a lot of a really big theme of the show. Mm-hmm. Like the, 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 the talk after the finale was like, did he or didn't he? Mm-hmm. You know, if you know, you know, but did he or didn't he? And I, I don't think it matters. Right. I think it's showing that that he was always going to go through his life looking looking out. Like everything was a threat. He was always going to be anxious. And whether or not whatever happened did or didn't happen, you know, I don't think I think that's beside the point. I think they like they did a good job of illustrating Tony's mindset in the moment and what his mindset was before that and afterward. And 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 that whole scene uh, to me was just brilliant. Like it was so tense. Uh, meadow parallel parking, the yeah. music, the like, just everything that happened in that final scene. I, th- I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was a great wrap to the se- to the to the series. I thought the events leading up to it were great, not just the final scene. I thought the last few episodes were awesome. So it's one of those series that ended on a on a high note for for me. Absolutely, absolutely, man. So that's I, I, and just even. Just for fun, asking people, what do you think about them HBO? The unanimous answer, like even this week, like I'm getting ready for this episode, it was The Sopranos. Like that's the mm-hmm. first thing people were saying, and I'm like, yeah, like it just changed everything. Like, and that was there's one that was easy in the moment to be like, this is different. TV will never be the same. Everything's changing. Like this is the impact it's making all over The Sopranos. I love it, Jeremy. So it's a uh, 
Number one, we have the Sopranos, and I'm I'm really curious because you you have two choices. You know, you're gonna go mm-hmm. the second and the fourth one, but you can do a lot with these. So I, I'm yeah. I'm curious to see where you're going. Yeah, well, I don't think I don't think the one I'm gonna pick is like one of those do the right thing, Malcolm X. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not. But but it, to me, it's 100 percent essential. And I've ran this list by a few people. Ran it by my mom, and my mom, the one I'm about to mention, my mom is in the middle of a rewatch right now, so oh, that was okay. kind of funny. So she's like, I love that show. So I'm going to pick a series that ran from 2001 to 2005. So it ran for five seasons, Jeremy, and it's six feet under. Why do people have to die? make life important none of us know how long we've got which is why we have to make each day matter the show's about the fisher family uh who owns and operates a funeral home there's themes about like mortality family relationship dynamics uh what does growing up around death do to people how does it impact how they deal with their own mortality how they go through day-to-day life uh, it revolves around like uh, the mom, Ruth, is dealing with her new life as a widow. The series starts with the patriarch of the family had passed away, so they're all coming to grips with that. Uh, Nate, one of the sons, he's resistant to settling down, can't decide what he wants out of his life. David, one of the, the other son, he's a bit uptight. There's a compelling relationship dynamic with his boyfriend. Uh, David's dealing with his own sexuality and coming to terms with that more and more. Claire, the younger one, she's rebellious. Uh, there's a side character, Federico, who works at the funeral home, and we delve into his life and ambitions. So it really, like, throughout the five seasons, fleshes out this amazing story. And I've talked to enough people who love television, who love HBO, prestige television, and Six Feet Under unanimously is, like, gets gets a passing grade and then some. Like, people... Absolutely love this show, Jeremy. Uh, how f- are you? F- have you watched Six Feet Under? Yes, I, I have. Um, I'm, I won't. I haven't watched it all the way through. Okay, like so, I've I've gotten it in patches and different people, either hanging out with or you know dating at the time, bigger fans than me, and kind of watching it through them. I think it's one of those ones. I feel like as time's going on, people forget about it. Yeah, maybe it's a, a testament to the radar. Yeah, a testament because I feel like in the two thousands it was talked about a lot more, but like I think it's crazy a testament to like what HBO has continued to do even after two thousand five. The shows that have come out and just all like you know the streaming and all that. So I think it gets lost that this was a key piece in helping to really get that golden age of TV going mm-hmm. that we saw in the two thousands. This was something because I think. For people who are listening who may not remember or maybe they were too young, all those things you're talking about, like for them probably, oh, okay, okay yeah, someone dealing with sexuality. No, that was a big deal in 2001. So right. That wasn't exactly. something that like, oh, yeah, like we're, you know, we're as comfortable as we are with the LGBTQ community. Like, no, that was a big deal to show. Talking about death and then looking at it from this point of view and this up close and this in your face and real, you weren't seeing that a lot. Like, mm-hmm. This show is maybe one of the more underrated dramas of the past, like, 20 to 30 years. 
it's got a big cult following and those so the people who watch who have watched it and like it like really really like it yes. really love it my sister uh michelle uh, is the one who actually who urged me to to watch the show she's gotten me into a few shows Mm-hmm. But Six Feet Under was one. It was definitely her. So she Six Feet Under was one where she said like you because I came into it late. Honestly, I, I I've only I only started I only watched it six or seven years ago. Oh okay. So I came into it late. I knew of it, but I'm like ah, I don't know. And then my, my sister said, oh you should give it a chance. It's really you know it's a really unique cool show. So I started watching it, and by the time I was finished with the series, I'm like this is amazing. This is like one of my ten or so favorite shows of all time. And, Jeremy, we were talking about the Sopranos finale. Yeah. I think Six Feet Under maybe has the best finale in TV history. I was going to say that, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. you knew know that it's known for that. Mm-hmm. Like, how it ended, it, it stuck the landing better than any show I've ever seen. I was watching the season, the series finale of Six Feet Under the first time, crying my eyes out. Like, it's it'll get, it gets people. It's so emotional, and it's I so and I, emotional. So you you see, have you seen the the finale? Yeah, only because of the because buzz. you've right because mm-hmm. the buzz. So you wanted to know what the buzz was about. So you kind absolutely. of absolutely finale. And yeah, it made me cry. Oh, for sure, <laughs> for sure. It, it's so emotional, and it gives like. And don't get me wrong. I had known enough, so I wasn't sure. just like yeah, watching. You had some. Yeah, I had context with mm-hmm. everything, but um, I think even with like the way it began, like I think there's the symbolism with like it beginning with a birth. And just the way, like, you know, like, I, I just think that that episode was so well done. Alan Ball is someone I have so much respect for because you're not, like I said, if, you eat, if you're getting into TV later or you're younger, I hate being that guy because people did it to me all the time where you're young. And it's like, no, you have context. But I'm like, just how different this was and how now – this topic, these topics, like, I mean, it still would be a great show, but it's like, oh, yeah, of course. But it was like, ugh. There was sometimes it was like, I remember talking to people about it back then and hearing people talk about it. I don't know if I want to watch this about death and <laughs> duh, ugh, I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah. And back then I understood. I'm like, yeah, Sunday night, like, we got work in the morning. I got school. I want to end it on that note. <laughs> ugh. Like, but it's, it's so groundbreaking in what it did. And I think there's shows people go to the sopranos they'll go to breaking bad mad men there's a, quite a few that they skip over and the top of the list to me is six feet under that really just changed the game i read an article once about a high functioning autistic person who didn't need people she just had a job designing these big cattle slaughterhouses and at night she came home and sat in this little machine that made her feel like she was being hugged that was all the intimacy she needed that's really upsetting I don't see why this person has to be mentally ill just because she had a life that doesn't conform to some familiar image we have in our heads. I mean, maybe she was living the life she wanted. A life without the hassle of other people. What kind of a life is that? Yeah, to me, it belongs up there with with a lot of those prestige shows. You'd mentioned it was a unique way to start each episode to centered on someone unrelated to the series and show how they, it was a, a short story about how they died. Mm-hmm. And ended up at the family's funeral home, mm-hmm. and then made the 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 way in which the person died often, but not always, fit the theme of the episode. Yeah, it connected in a way, kind of connected in a way, uh, or it connected to somebody, one of the main characters in the episode. That person may be connected to them, or there was some sort of connection. But just the way the episodes start is just like these different ways that these people ended up at the funeral home. 
and that that's memorable for a lot of people. My sister, when she told me about the show, she's like, all she told me was, "Let me know when you get to the episode that starts uh, with with the girl in the limo." Oh, okay. What do you? Yeah, what are you talking about? So then I got it, and I was like, "Oh my god!" So then I had to text my sister. I'm like, "I got to that. I got yeah. to that episode in that part." Wow. So yeah. So she. Uh, yeah. So it was definitely memorable for me, for th- for members of my family. So yeah. I love you know, it. I look at it like we. You know, Sopranos was one. The uh-huh. Six Feet Under two. Something that you know is hitting me while we're talking is both shows are family shows yep. at its core. But they're finding such unique ways. So, like, they're, it's like in a way, I have to say the word, like, they, they're basic in some ways, but they're finding such unique ways to show that and to convey it and such, you know, groundbreaking and, and you know, thought provoking ways to portray family and to portray relationships that I think, like, really signifies, like, what made these shows great and what made HBO programming great. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Didn't somebody say that there's only like seven stories? <laughs> Or something that oh yeah yeah that yeah. exists or something like that. So you're not. I've gonna, heard that. Yeah. So you're not going to like have themes. Like you're not going to unearth a theme that's never been been talked about before. But it's at, it's the execution mm-hmm. to me. So these first two shows, The Sopranos and Six Feet Under, like peak execution. Yeah. So, Jeremy, if you're ever in the mood and you want to like watch, actually watch, do a proper watch of Six Feet Under, I urge you to. I probably sure. will. Yeah, yeah. I, I probably it, will. It's so rewarding. I want to do it again. So Sopranos and Six Feet Under is like on my 2024 rewatch list. My mom's rewatching Six Feet Under right now. She got so excited when I <laughs> when I told her that I was probably going to choose Six Feet Under That's awesome. as yeah as one of mine. I didn't see it coming. I'm glad. Like I didn't know which way you were going to go. And that's the beauty of HBO. There's so many ways yeah. you can go. But I'm glad you picked it because I'm someone who doesn't give it the proper recognition it deserves because it, it is a great show. Yeah, and that's what something I love about our show, Pop Culture 5, is we can educate one another mm-hmm. about certain things. We have whole episodes dedicated to pop culture blind spots. Right, right. But within a, within a quote-unquote normal episode, we can still educate each other. So, yeah, The Sopranos, Six Feet Under, so I, it's back to me, and and we've been going with some, and rightfully so, some some heavy I'm going to go to the comedy. Maybe you could say it's a layup, it's easy, but I just think it has continued to just keep redefining and keep people wanting more. And the fact that it came from really a one-hour special in 99 and became one of the great comedies in TV history, you got to go with Curb Your Enthusiasm. That's that's what I'm picking for my third. Just a show that you knew Larry David was brilliant. You know, we did an episode on Seinfeld, you know, essential Seinfeld episodes. So you knew he was brilliant as like a comedy writer, a comedy mind. But honestly, as a comedy performer, as an actor, what he's been able to do impresses me. And what everyone around him, from Jeff Garland, you know, to, to J.B. Smooth, 
to you know Richard Lewis and Wanda Sykes and Susie Essman. Susie Essman's amazing. Pops every time she's amazing. on. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. I got the sharpest Jewish divorce lawyer in town. He's terrific. You like Bert? I huh? like him a lot. Yeah. Oh, you know what? You and I ever split up? Let me tell you something. We get a divorce. 50-50, you take whatever 50% you want, I'll take what's left. No, no arguing, no negativity. What are you fucking kidding me? You think we're gonna have a nice divorce if we ever get divorced? No fucking way. I'm taking you for everything you have, mister. I'm taking your balls and I'm thumbtacking them to the wall. You're gonna get nothing out of it. You mentioned the D word once in your fucking life, you'll rue the day you ever met me. What are you doing, Jeff? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just, this show just really taking what you kind of saw from Seinfeld like that, looking at the minute of social life and everything, but just blowing it up on another level. And just really, to me, if I think of something, when I think of cringe humor, my first thought is curb your enthusiasm. And it's something that I'm like, I, cause it's so funny. I kind of forget it's cringe, but then I've had people watch it and they go, I just, I can't stick. He's just doing the, these awkward interactions. I can't stick with it. It's just so hard. And I'm like, really? And I'm like, yeah, that is true. Like it, it, he gets there with some cringy kind of stuff or some whatever, just going there and they just don't hold anything back. He just no holds bars it. And I, I love it. Like, I just love what this show brings and it's continued, you know, to have these breaks in between seasons and you're still just like, when's Curb coming back? When's Curb? Is it coming back? And then when it comes back, it still gets that, like, everyone's talking about it. Like, I, I just think Curb really has redefined what, you know, comedy on TV is. Yeah, if you hadn't picked this one, this was actually my next pick. Oh, okay. Yeah, so this was, this Curb Your Enthusiasm was second on my list, so. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is, we had done an episode on Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. Jeremy early on. And I think Curb does just a good a job as Seinfeld. They're different shows, so I don't like to say like I like this one better than that one because they could do more. You can curse on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. There's different, you know. But I think Curb taps into like that social neuroses and social faux pas that we all experience so well as good, if not better, than Seinfeld. And I think I'll say one thing I'll say about Curb is I think it feels more personal to me because it's mostly centered on one person, mm-hmm. Larry David's, the son that all these characters in this kind of world orbits around. And we live in that awkwardness with Larry a little bit more than we would like a George or a Jerry or a Elaine right. or something like that. Like So this one feels – Curb feels more personal to me. And well. It, than, I, than something I like feel that. like the, the, the four of them, since they're a group, they're protected in their different, their unique ways of thinking True. about stuff where Larry's on his own. So then you're just getting the reaction yeah. from either one of the other people on the show or like a guest star or a random whoever. You're feeling more of that than like with a group. Even if you're crazy, if there's a group of you, there's like there's power in that. Mm-hmm. Larry's on his own and it's just like, you're whoa. right. Yeah, that that's exactly you put it perfectly. What makes it more personal to me? Uh, and Larry Larry Davis is a, a genius. Yeah, and, and this cemented it. And people didn't really know like who who Larry David was. You would watch Seinfeld and see the name, mm-hmm. but it wasn't here until people started being like, "Yeah, Larry, that Larry Larry David is a comedic genius, and he makes it look so easy because he's tapping into things that we all experience and yeah. feel, but actually presenting it on screen and making it hilarious." 
is is a thing all into itself. So this is awesome. Like, what are some highlights for you? I know this; yeah. it's still going. So it premiered in what to, to October two thousand officially, but it's still mm-hmm. going. The new season set to premiere February fourth, and they're so saying we'll, that's the last one. And he's saying, but we'll see. I don't we'll know. see. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, you, you know, to to what you say, like Larry, a lot of times was like off or was wrong or like whoa, but like you felt like you you it was unique. One of the ones it was the season seven premiere. When, you know, he's, like, with, like, you know, uh, Vivica A. Fox, like, the black family, mm-hmm. you know, with J.B. Smooth. Like, they're living there, and he wants Viv- he wants them to be- get out. But she's sick, so the doctor is over doing a house call. So he's, like, waiting to hear. So he comes down. The doctor comes down, and he's talking to Larry. And then, you know, and then they're at Larry's house. And they're talking. He's like, oh, excuse me. And he opens up Larry's fridge and brings out, like, a little, like, like a brisk iced tea, like a little can of lemonade and starts drinking it. And then Larry just has a face. And then the doctor's like, uh, what? <laughs> just going to the refrigerator without asking. I just got myself a lemonade. Is that a, I'm just surprised you didn't ask. I'm surprised you didn't offer to be honest. <laughs> I was about to offer. I don't, I don't think you're about to offer. Well, I was going to, you offer hadn't you offered me by it, now. It is a little unusual to go into someone's, Refrigerator without asking, is it not? I can tell when somebody's going to offer me lemonade. You were not going to offer me lemonade. If anything, you're going to complain to me about being a fish owner or something like that? It is difficult to be a fish Why owner. Why is that a priority? Your girlfriend is sick. I didn't say it's a priority. I just said that they need to be fed, and it's something that I need to think about. And then they're, like, going back and forth, and then the doctor kind of leaves. They're arguing, and Funhauser walks in. He's like, what was that about? And he's like, he just opened the refrigerator and grabbed, a, and grabbed something. What did he take? Lemonade. Liquids are okay. I don't believe that people should go into my refrigerator. What kind of a stupid rule is that? What do you mean a stupid rule? I don't go into other people's refrigerators. You could go into my refrigerator. I don't go into your refrigerator. You're welcome, you're a welcome guest. And the thing is, Thomas, I was kind of like, liquids can be okay, I think. Funk like, I wouldn't get that point. mad. Yeah. Yeah. That's you so, know? The, way, the way you dissect, and that's such a Larry David thing. To yeah. Take, yeah, to take that scenario and add in another twist, like, well... Depends on what he took. Right. And to really treat that small interaction like something really philosophical and big, like that's like that you're well, right. That speaks to the heart of like genius of Larry David. I'll say this, right? So what's funny is about five years ago, I was with a former you know, we were coworkers, then we I left the job. But we had done like started like a little podcast and we had another coworker, her and her husband were coming on the show as like guests, right? And my coworker and her husband had just got back from a trip from St. Lucia and we were doing it at my co-host's house. And I am pre- very like respectful, like, hey, there's I'm a guest in your house. There's what are the rules? Whatever. So I'm sitting down and my coworker and her husband were like, we came back, oh, we got some we brought some some rum from St. Lucia. You should like you know, want to try it? And I go, yeah. And I'm like, well, where is it? And they're like, it's in the fridge. So I opened the fridge just because it was like, you know, we were talking. <laughs> and my co-host was like, you just opened my fridge? Blah, blah, blah. She started yelling. And I go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. First of all, you heard like they said we wanted to try it. I just asked, where is it? Yeah. But secondly, it's a liquid. I didn't grab like chicken or a sandwich. And we were arguing. And I'm thinking of this episode the whole time. Like liquids can be okay. Come on now. You stand I'm like, come on, on, Kyra. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Liquids are okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a, that's a rule okay. in our house too. Yeah, yeah. It's so my we call 
Dermy, we call my dad Larry David because he <laughs> finds himself in these awkward social positions a lot of time. And so my mom will tell me like, oh, your dad, whatever. My dad will tell a story that he was involved in. I'm like, see, you're Larry David. He was, <laughs> he won't mind if I tell this. He was playing golf <laughs> with someone. Uh, I think a man he had just met. So they uh, they did a whole 18 hole. They were kind of talking mm-hmm. about their lives or whatever. And, and the guy kept referring to his partner. So the guy mm-hmm. kept telling my dad, my partner this, my partner that. So my dad, by like the 16th, 17th hole, he works up the familiarity to ask the man like, so was it hard coming out, you know, being gay in your, <laughs> in your time? And yeah. the guy says, I'm talking about my business partner. <laughs> 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 my dad's like oh sorry <laughs> no. yeah and so yeah when they told me that story we were just like classic larry david my dad so, yeah so we yeah. all know that person i think who and if we don't know that person we are that person <laughs> who gets into into those situations Jeremy. Mm-hmm. And, and they do a good job of there's ones where you're like oh ld yeah they call larry you're just so wrong but yeah. they mix in ones where i'm like that's he might have a point there yeah i wrote that down there's a good balance of me agreeing with larry and agreeing with whomever he's larry's fighting with yeah 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 Yeah. i remember the one that i thought he was crazy and i can't remember the season and episode but he's on a flight and he's next to somebody and the guy's wearing like khaki like shorts and he's like you're wearing shorts on an airplane and the guy's like what do you care yeah what i'm wearing and i was like yeah ld like come on man like I wouldn't wear them, but like, don't knock the guy. He can wear the khaki shorts. He's like, you're showing like way too much thigh and all that. And it was just like, I'm yeah. like, LD, come on, man, let I it think, go. I think I agreed with the guy on that one too. But yeah. I agreed with LD when at the bowling alley somebody had taken his shoes, mm-hmm. and 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 the guy. I think the explanation people thought told LD that they thought that it was fair game that the guy took his shoes. And and Larry got pissed that that like somebody he's like well you give them back and so there was that whole uh, situation of the bowling alley I'm like Larry's right you don't just take some they're not like free reign like you can't just at the like if somebody if you get handed the wrong shoes you can't just take them they're not yours mm-hmm. so I I agree with Larry on that one but they, but he strikes such a good balance between like like he he's the jerk in one scenario and then somebody else is the jerk oh uh, yeah in, in another scenario and even when he means well like inviting the uh um the sex offender to Seder. yeah yeah even when larry you can tell like larry meant well the guy didn't have any it's part of the it's part of the religion to like if somebody doesn't have anywhere to go for Seder. right right you invite them into your home for Seder, but but I can understand their perspective too. Of like, why did you invite him into the home? What's mm-hmm. you know? And uh, so, oh God, that's so many memorable moments. Leon and the Black family, great, added so much life. Specifically, yeah, Leon added so much life. I love when the Black family finally leaves, and Leon's just kind of still there. Yes. And Larry's Good. like, hey, and he's, Leon's like, I'm gonna go to my room. Like, like go to nothing. my room, eat, and eat this Chinese food. Eat this Chinese food. Yeah. <laughs> my brother <laughs> and I say that quote to each other. <laughs> monthly like we bring that line up all the time because that that was perfect and then larry just accepted he had like a new best friend when Mm -hmm. the whole seinfeld reunion stuff was great when leon was talking to michael richards as danny duberstein so tell me about the groats uh well everything i ate tasted like peaches 
forgot how to multiply. I could subtract, but I couldn't multiply. If I'm fucking six women three times a day, seven days a week, how many times per week am I fucking? Was it 10? Was it 130? Was it 16? I was tripping out. That's some weird stuff, man. You telling me. <laughs> There's just so much here. Like, no, I think that's another fun thing about doing this show is I think I I hate to assume, but just from this conversation, there's going there's going to be a future pop culture five like curb your enthusiasm, like essential episodes. That. Because it's just I, I have to control myself because I want to start re- like doing that with you, like, hey, yeah. what do you think about this scenario? What do you think about that scenario? Who do you agree with, LD or the other part? Like, so I'm like, I have to like watch it because I'm like, yeah. I'll make that the episode. So this is a whole, this is a whole future episode. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I have, I have in my little notes over here like highlights, and I'm, it's just like bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. Yeah, bullet so point. many. Like, yeah, so that, so yeah, that, that that'll be a fun future episode. Absolutely. You can already tell this is one of my all time favorite shows. Same here. Yeah. Same here. I did a rewatch in early 2023, so it's mm-hmm. a very recent rewatch, and mm-hmm. so rewarding. Absolutely, man. So, no veto? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think yeah. we're good. You're, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we got The Sopranos, Six Feet Under, Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's it's back to you, Thomas. All right, I want to talk about one that if The Sopranos is do the right thing, then this one is probably Malcolm X. It's okay. That one. Uh, it was from 2002 to 2008. And it's in contention. I said The Sopranos was probably my favorite show or the best show I've ever seen. This is the other one that flip-flops with it. So it's uh, David Simon's amazing The Wire. Hey, yo, lesson here, babe. You come at the king, you best not miss. A lot of it's a gut punch. A lot of it's funny. It's very gritty and real. What I love about it is it explores all sides of of the Baltimore the Baltimore drug trade, essentially drugs gang. So it shows it shows like the the side of the police. Yeah, it shows the side of the people selling the drugs. It shows the, the side of of the actual shipment, the people who ship the drugs, yep. the kids, the community who's affected. So David Simon painted this world in Baltimore, and he knew from firsthand experience because David Simon was a journalist in Baltimore, and, and he knew. But he just painted this such elaborate, personal, real, gritty world in Baltimore, exploring all facets of, of this thing that was, that was tearing his community up essentially like i said it's like a gut punch amazing i had heard about i never i didn't watch the wire when it when it first aired that's that, that that's like a big theme i was like a late to late to a lot of things the wire yeah. aired when i was like in college and then getting my career started mm-hmm. so i was i was kind of busy but i've i heard from my friends like my buddy matt johnson big wire fan and over a 10, 15 years ago, I decided to like, I'm going to sit down and, and do a, a proper watch of The Wire. And it blew my mind. It, I immediately finished it and I was like, this is this is an amazing show. So, uh, Deremy, uh, are you a fan of The Wire? What do you I, think of this choice? It's, it's to me, the greatest drama of all time. Like, it knocks, that's what puts The Sopranos, yeah. like, number two. 
it's the why. And the reason why I say that, and I'm sure people have and you can with The Sopranos, but doing what we do here, I love something that is entertaining, but you can take it to the class. You can really dissect and break it down, not just of why it's entertaining, which is cool to do, but also how it affect how it portrays life how it connects to people and i think seeing like that the wired classes are taught about it at harvard and every like yep. it just does such an amazing job of really being so close to the source and nailing what city life is like in america and in, in the 21st century and honestly what you kind of got later half of the 20th century but it just really nails it and it's something that I got into it the last year. I was at you know college, and I can give this. It was a security guard, you know, one you know, in a dorm, the the person who you have to check in, you know, if you're a guest or if even if you live there. He was like, "Hey, the wire, the season premiere's coming on," and I go, "I know the show, but I'm like, you know, is it is it he? It's the best show ever." And this was like 2008, 2007. He was like, "It's the best show ever." I go, "Oh, really?" I'm like, "This." Sopranos, he goes, it's better than Sopranos. It's better than Sopranos. And he go, and he said, everything that you said back when this last season was getting to come on, he said it. So I kind of, I went out of order. I watched the last season just because hmm. he was the security guard I was cool with. Yeah. So he would put it on Sunday nights and I would sit there and watch and we would talk, have great conversation about it. And then going back and then having these convo, like and watching the first like four seasons and just really getting just the heart of it and just really getting something that would be, like you said, a gut punch, but just the reality of it. And it's something I think, you know, we always talk about how, like, you love SNL and I do too. And one of the weird things with The Wire and SNL is I love, like, SNL's, like, the, when the host says goodnight and the closing song that is mm-hmm. playing for SNL. I love watching that. And then seeing like the cast like interact for the wire, people love the theme song. I love the op- the closing like instrumental and how slow it is and just how like heavy that is. That always gets me, and that always kind of like summed up like what this show's about. Because yeah. a lot of times episodes would leave you like just in a daze. Yes. And then, then so that closing theme would would and you you keep know what you I'm there. talking about, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. I can tell like when I, I I'm thinking of like a couple pivotal moments in the wire, and I can I can visualize how the episode ends, and it's just like. It kind of keeps you, almost mm-hmm. like keeps you in that state. And I, I love, I'm one of those people who loves, I mean, the the intro songs too. And I like that they changed it up. Yeah. Each season, you got different versions mm-hmm. uh, of the songs. If you walk through the garden, you better watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon. When you walk through the garden, you gotta watch your back. When I beg your pardon, walk the straight and narrow track. When you walk through the garden, 
So that that was just a, like another cool facet to it. Now, Jeremy, there's a couple of a couple of big questions that people like to ask about the wire. Mm-hmm. And one of them's really with any like what well, what's your season? Like what's a season that the the season that really like sticks with you? I'll be honest, uh 5, which is maybe because it was the That's first one I saw. Yeah, so it, that one centers around uh, the journalism aspect yes. of it a lot and and, mm-hmm. and it closes uh some storylines and stuff, but yeah, that's interesting. Uh, season five, that's not like a typical one that people Mm-mm. mention. No, and and I have watched the whole, so I know maybe a little mm-hmm. bit like biased because I was the first one, but I did watch the whole, and I do like that atmosphere of the journalism side, and it's, to me, it hits even more now with like you know journalism and how important it is, and are we losing that and journalism on the local level. Mm-hmm. And how important that is, and then seeing those journalists trying, hey, there's a there's a vested interest in that city. That's their city, and they see it deteriorating. And they see corruption all around, and can you know the power of the pen make a difference? Yeah. And then it also closes in on these stories, and seeing like Dookie and how that ends up, and then you know seeing what happens with Michael, and and seeing you know what goes on, how what happens with Marlo Omar and, and Marlo, Omar, yeah. You know, I think just mm-hmm. what it does and, you know, even with the cops and how it ends, like, I just think it's a great ending. It's not like a, hey, it's all good. It shows the real tragedy of what happens with not just in city life, but it just people, you know what I mean? And yeah, and I think that's what, because journalism was always that field or that, that job or career that's so interesting that like, you know, it's tough, you know, it's hard. It's from the outside, but when done right, and like you don't always get these home runs, but when done right, you can really make a difference. And I think that's what kind of always hit me for season five. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting in season five. Also, the one journalist like who went rogue, the self-serving journalist, which is yes. there too. Mm-hmm. So I think David Simon probably saw some of that when he was a journalist and wanted mm-hmm. to, to highlight that part of it. I, I always like season five. Uh, not like you have to defend any season of The Wire, right? but season five... Uh, gets a bad rap sometimes, um, but I thought it. I thought it was a good season. Uh, I'm definitely pro season five. I'm pro the entire series. Uh, season four is kind of my season that really stuck with me. Um, with you mentioned Michael and Dookie and, and Randy and just the whole the whole middle school like revolving around the middle school kids. Uh, that really like like hit me hard. Yeah, um, seeing seeing them at the beginning like real innocent and how they progressed or regressed in some ways. It showed a group of friends who, uh, just by sheer luck, almost made it or didn't, mm-hmm. you know, and things that didn't even have anything to do with them contributed to them, whether they made it or not out of their environment. Um, I, I mentioned on here, like, I I think on a previous episode, like, my mom being a teacher, and if there's, like, the, the most, on both sides of my family, the most common occupation was teacher. On my mom's side and my dad's side, my mom being one, my dad's mother, my grandmom, she was a teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, how many? One, two, three of my mom's four sisters were teachers. So, I mean, it's a lot of teachers. Season four, for what you just said, it's it's great. It's probably the toughest for me to watch for that reason of just hearing, because I heard those stories my whole life about just you know, hey, you have two kids in that middle school range or even early high school, 
innocent and then things that are out of their control, they're going in opposite ways. Yeah. And just the effects that I would hear all my life growing up, that's always hard for me to go back to, honestly. Yeah, yeah no, I, I definitely understand that. That That's a tough one. What do you think? Another big question. What do you think of season two? Because <laughs> that was a big departure. That was a big pivot for a lot of people. They were, it was jarring for a lot of people from what I've heard because I didn't watch it as it was going on. But a lot of people have said that after season one, then season two comes around and it was almost like a completely different show than they expected. And there was a lot of resistance to season two, Jeremy. I don't mind season two. I, I kind of liked it. I, I I always look at it like season, like, you know, there's the pilot of something and season one, you're figuring it out as a show. So to me, I look at it like, obviously, chronologically, you need a season one. But what they did in season one was kind of getting those kinks out, figuring it out. And also like, reading James Andrew Miller like the tender box the wire was not the the ratings hit that like the sopranos was so they were ready to cancel that very early on yeah. and david simon had to like give a pitch and credit to chris albrecht listened to him and was like i mean we're going to give this other chance hearing that passion and hearing his vision so those things kind of having that information as well was like Man, like, yeah, like, I, I, I don't mind season two at all. Like, I, I think it's it's actually really well done, and I think it, it kind of gets us into what The Wire really is. I agree with you. I think I think many people wanted it just to be a show that, that stayed in the projects. Because mm-hmm. uh, you had, you know, the season one pretty much re- revolved around the Barksdale family and the yep. police and stuff. And then season two went to the docks. And that's important from what the story that David Simon was trying to tell, because that how do the drugs get into Baltimore mm-hmm. through the docks? But there's also dock workers who their lives they're you know, they're going through it in many ways. So I think that was an important story, and I think it was super well done. I I absolutely I love season two, and I'll I'll, I'll definitely defend season two Same. with anybody who who criticizes it because. If you just focus on Barksdale and the projects, it can be a heck of a show, but it misses the point, and it, it wouldn't be the greatest or arguably the greatest show of all time, which is David Simon through that avenue of journalism and being, I guess you could say, open-minded to an extent because some people can be that close to it and still don't want to see the truth, right? Mm-hmm. But this is all connected, and not to take away accountability from people and choices and all that, but like you said, a lot of this is like – it's not just like, oh, this is just how it comes in. There's a whole system, like systemic way of like tearing down cities, tearing down communities that's been going on for so long, and it's all connected. And the corruption and in these institutions and having to fight this, mm-hmm. it's a it's an ordeal that's really hard to overcome. And you know, we're still struggling with it, and it's still just as relevant now as it was when it came on, you know, o two to o eight, yep. you know. Yeah, there's a season that revolves around, or not revolves, but it focuses largely on the politicians, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, David Simon has has that aspect covered as well. So I could go on and on. I've proposed to you, I think we'll do, maybe we'll do it at some point, like a, a Central Wire characters or, yeah, or yeah. something to that effect. I think I think so. Yeah, so at some point we'll do that. I mean, we both obviously love this show, so I would love to talk about maybe not even episodes, just like wire characters. Cause there's yeah. so many that talk about a show. That's like an ensemble that just has so many memorable people in the show. The wires, like even more so than the Sopranos for me, the wires top of the list. Yeah. 
I mean, it, it happens a lot with Pop, but I'm thinking like even through these this episode, like I remember when hearing that James Gandolfini died. And like just the the shock and the like wow, like the pit in your stomach. And you never met him, but it was like you knew Tony and then seeing the effect it had the whole country when Michael K. Williams died, you know, like shed a tear for him because like you heard like the struggle, the fight of of you know, that battle with addiction he had been going through and and it was one of the times where he, he you know, when he died, no one I, I mean, maybe there was, I didn't read every single thing, but it was like, man, people knew like he fought that fight, man, and and it yeah. and it just rocked you. But no one was like, I didn't see a lot or any of like the pointing the finger or that nastiness that can come from that. It was like a lot of people showed that empathy and was like, through Omar, through his story, say he saved so many lives. And it's like, man, that's what HBO, that's what these shows, pop culture can do that. But these shows, they hit at you so hard, you feel like you know these people, and when they pass, it it just brings up a lot of emotion. Yeah, I felt that way with Michael K. Williams. Lance Reddick passed yes. away last year. He played uh, Cedric Daniels, and that that was unexpected to me. That was just like, so unexpected that Lance Reddick uh, unfortunately passed uh, back in 2023. So yeah, these uh, uh, these characters, these actors, just really did something special with The Wire and touched a lot of people. You are a moral, are you not? You are feeding off the violence and the despair of the drug trade. You're stealing from those who themselves are stealing the lifeblood from our city. You are a parasite who leeches off Just like you, the culture man. of drugs. Excuse me? What? I got the shotgun. We got the briefcase. It's on the game, though, right? That's my choice, Jeremy. Uh, okay. we've, we've been talking so long, I forgot if that was your choice or my choice. But, that is, <laughs> but, but that's my choice. <laughs> that's your choice. That's your choice. So we had The Sopranos, Six Feet Under, Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Wire. And so number five. And this one is tough for me because of all the choices that were – it's probably the show – I have seen it, but it's probably I've watched the, the least amount of. But looking at it, thinking about it, if something that was along the, the same lines of really flipping HBO TV premium content upside down, um, I have to look at this show. I, I'm not going to say the, the Sopranos attention, but it was like second. Mm-hmm. Sex in the City. something where i heard and that's where i'm like i have to give credit i knew the characters names i knew carrie charlotte you know miranda samantha i you would hear those names all the time my first real like looking at it like fully because you know when we come on sunday nights i would kind of like change like this ain't for me but i heard so many women i knew loved it was i watched the movie i remember being in college and the movie came out and a lot of like the the women in my dorm, they loved that. So I was like, all right, I watched it. And then I'm like, you know what? I should look into this more. And I haven't seen every, I've over the years I started watching more and it is a really hilarious, it's well done. And it makes you think, you know, as a, as a, a guy, it's just like, 
I am grateful and glad for that other perspective of how women approach sex and relationships and how they see it and seeing it from that point of view and how empowering that is. And at the time, and you know, we still have a long way to go, but this show, I forgot when it came out. It comes out in June of 98. Wow. Yeah, that is a little earlier yeah. to me. Than <laughs> I thought like a 2000s, yeah. like, but June of 98 is when it came out. And it's like for that time, you know, like to have that point of view, to have that perspective and for have it where showing women like, yeah, they talk. It's not like hush, hush. They talk about sex. They're interested in sex, too. And they're, you know, pointing out the, the flaws in society's views on relationships, on dating, whether on monogamy or however you want to look at it, uh, on sex, it really was groundbreaking and it really changed the game. And you look at a few years later, Entourage, you know, to me, that's just a male sex in the city. And I liked Entourage, but I feel like, hey, HBO, you know, I know it's through Mark Wahlberg, but they're like, well, this work with the ladies, well, the guys like it. But that was the impact it had. It, it It was a game changer in so many ways. Yeah, I've uh, I've watched the first I think season and a half of Sex in the City. Okay. So, but I'm not gonna I'm definitely not gonna veto it. I know it's super important show. I think it's essential. Uh, but that that's just on me. I think when I I watched about the season and a half, I think I got busy. I had other things in the queue. I think that around that time, my wife and I were watching like The Good Place and New yeah. Girl, and so we had stuff that she and I were watching together. And so Sex in the City kind of took a back seat. And 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 I need to, you know what? I'm actually going to put that ahead of my Six Feet Under and Sopranos rewatches for 2024. Well, so you know what? Sex in the okay. City is going to be like it's gonna it's gonna jump the queue for for 2024 rewatches because I want to give it a proper watch. I enjoyed it. The You're first saying- season and a half that I watched, I enjoyed it. So it wasn't that like I didn't like this and like oh I don't get the hype and I I I'm not going to come back to it. Like I enjoyed it. And I'm sure people can uh, can relate as you're watching something and you do like it, but then you never return. So uh, what we do in the shadows is the same thing for me. I still have oh. five episodes in, okay. the, in the most recent season that I haven't watched, but I okay. love the show. I just yeah. haven't finished the series yeah. for, for one reason or another. No, so, sure. so, so Sex in the City is one of those for me. But I, what I will say watching the first season and a half is I really love the empowerment of it all, Kim Cattrall's character, especially, yes. and it's not just like the pr- promiscuity, the 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 sex that takes place or whatever. Uh, it's just kind of the the nonchalant way that she went about her life. The the no f's given. Hi, I'm Samantha Jones. We've spoken on the phone several times. Uh huh. Please stay behind the partition. Sorry. I know that you said Dr. McAndrew was booked, but I was referred here by Dr. Ward and Dr. Popham, who both attended the paint for the cure benefit I threw. I'm sorry. The doctor can't. She's booked through March. My good friend Susan Schaefer, who threw the dance for the cure benefit, said that sometimes Dr. McAndrew can squeeze you in if you just show up. March. Well, who do you have to fuck to get chemo around here? Excuse me? Of course, people might be yelling at me and say, well, things totally flipped with her character and you need to watch more or whatever. But that, that's kind of what stood out to me from what the first season or so that I watched. I'm, I'm curious as like moving on in, in the series to where like if, if Charlotte's character is going to get a little more, a little less buttoned up, a little, a little less right. set in her ways. Uh, what happens? I kind of know what happens with, with 
um, Carrie, Carrie, and Mr. Big, and yeah, yeah. I kind of know those beats and stuff, but uh, but I'm excited for this, and I know how important this show was for a lot of people, uh, and uh, I'm I'm excited to to do truly do like a a proper watch, but with 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 the bit that I have seen and how I know it's impacted other people, this is 100 percent an essential. Yeah, and and I think it's crazy because. A like I kind of had bounced around episodes, but I'll be honest, I this I would say like this month started like I'm on a Sex in the City like watch. I guess I can't say rewatch because I haven't watched them all before, but going through episode by episode watching it, it's crazy how I'm glad like we've come a long way where we're seeing more characters and more women being on TV talking about it, but how relevant those like issues or those things of like dating and how we see relationships and all that, like that still is here now. And as a guy seeing like, oh man, like the pig headed doofiness of like just douchebag. Yeah. Right. I'm trying to think of just the words of like what you see there. And I'm like, sadly I've met guys like that at that time. And yeah. now, and it's like, it, you know, just makes you think like you'll never know what a woman goes through as, as us as guys. But shows like this and having this watching it is like why people are like, hey, well, you think, you know, you're at the gym and you think somebody is pretty. Why don't you go up to her? I go because I know me and I know I'm respectful. But guess what? The sad part is how many douchebaggy guys has she met or seen or talked to right. and they didn't do it. And I can't blame her. She doesn't know me. And it's like this gives you that kind of like perspective of like, yeah. yeah, like just what, you know, women have to go through when it comes to that male female relationship dynamic on a daily basis and just like I can't even imagine. Absolutely. And even to to extend off of that as a man late 30s early 40s watching it, for me it's almost like I know guys like that, but mm-hmm. in my 20s was I that right, guy? Right, to, right. To, in some ways like, you know, mm-hmm. uh cuz people change and I'm sure I behaved in a way in my 20s where I I probably wouldn't be proud of uh intentionally or otherwise. And you, you watch them like this almost it almost is like a voyeuristic kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I guess watching it from our perspective. Yeah. Rather than maybe yeah. it's somewhat relatable, but it's almost like a voyeurism in, in, in some interesting way. No, for sure. It, it definitely, and it's, it, it, I'm glad you said that because it's like there's those big things that you go, well, I didn't do that. But then you're like, yeah, I know other guys who did that. And then there's those other things, which is like, oh, man, the way that guy is thinking or the way he reacted or the way he's, like, obsessive. And it's, like, you know, those, like, micro things that I'm, like, like you said, did I do that when I was in my 20s? Was mm-hmm. I like that? And then it's, like, oh, man. And then, like, you start going back through different interactions and you go, I thought I was the good guy in the story. Was I Was I not? Was I, like, was there some – am I in the gray much more than I thought I was? Like, it makes you think. And, and I love – content and entertainment that does that like it makes you like reevaluate yourself and how you approach it and this show does it like in a in a great way yeah oh i'm i'm looking forward to to doing a proper sex in the city watch man and i'm sure you know as the year goes on or as the weeks go on i'll keep you posted yeah for sure yeah on base percentage was four as miranda went on and on about the new yankee stats 
I couldn't help but wonder about my own. Ten years playing in New York, countless dates, five real relationships, one serious, all ending in breakups. If I were a ball player, I'd be batting, uh, whatever really bad is. So I'll read the list. So we have The Sopranos, Six Feet Under, Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Wire, Sex in the City. I think it's a fabulous list. Heavy hitters. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the question I do have for you is something that I haven't a debate or I haven't had in a long time because of how the landscape of TV has changed with streaming. But we kind of you you mentioned something a little bit earlier when it came to like Curb. So when we're talking about like The Sopranos and The Wire as a greatest drama of all time, Curb Your Enthusiasm as a great comedy. Mm-hmm. When we look at great shows that were maybe pre or even during this run that were on the networks and don't have the the freedom that like an HBO did or something like that. Is it fair to compare them like, or like, do you kind of keep it separate? Like in your mind, in my mind, I, I keep it separate. So that's why I was saying I was trying hard not to compare Seinfeld to curb because they're so, they're so different. And curb Larry David was allowed to do so much more on HBO than on NBC. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just such a different ball game that you can't compare. We talked SNL and I and I don't compare like Chappelle show and Key and Peel to Saturday Night Live. To me right. they're doing di- way different things even though they're sketch comedy technically. Mm-hmm. They're different things. And that's what I think about HBO shows and like network television. So I understand that going in and I try I've tried to shed my network television bias over the years because I think mm-hmm. HBO uh, the only negative thing I'll say about HBO is that it maybe programmed me to thumb my nose at network television. Yeah, yeah. Unfairly. My wife and I last night were talking about this episode and we talked about shows that we like together and we did a watch of New Girl, my wife and I. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I had unfairly thought of it as just a fluffy network television oh, really? it's not gonna be funny but then we watched new girl and both my wife and i were like this is really good i love new girl new girl's yeah. a great show but I that was my it. own bias against yeah. network television coming in Jeremy. so but i huh. do i do put them into different category because they're just doing different things they're given different liberties uh um, there's obviously like considerations for commercial breaks and advertisers and what they'll think of certain content so uh, what about you? I think um, I've been okay when it comes to comedy, like a sitcom. I I don't compare them, but I I don't the network bias. I'll still give a sitcom a fair shake on like on like a major network. When it comes to dramas, my mind is completely like warped. Like <laughs> I can't judge a network drama fairly, yeah, even to this yeah. day. Like it's yeah. hard because when you have. And, you know, just the access and the freedom that, like, you know, just these shows have and all these other ones, when you go to, like, you know, The Good Wife or something like that, I, it could be, I've heard people like it. I'm just like, I, I don't know. It's on yeah. CBS. I can't. Yeah, that's you, fair. This Is Us know, is a good one. And I, yeah, in my mind, yeah, dramas like are that. warped. Dramas are warped on for me. So I'm trying to get better with that. <laughs> yeah. Comedy, I'm good. I can, okay. I can love a good sitcom on, like, NBC but on dramas, yeah, it's hard. Okay, yeah, I definitely understand that. But yeah. I have a bonus burning question for you. Go ahead. It's a little light. Um, so is there like <laughs> an under-the-radar HBO series that you want to mention that people should try? Like, we have a lot of heavy hitters. There's a lot of things that, like, the average person would know. But there's there like one of those. Do you have a series that's like 
you felt like it's under the radar and people should just give it a try. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so I thought like Treme was kind of under the radar. I thought that didn't get the uh, the love that it, it should have gotten. And what was the premise of that? That was like New Orleans post Katrina. Okay. Um, did David Simon do that? Did he was a part. I think he might have been a part of Treme. Um, it had a few. And it, it's really good. It had like it's one of those ones that didn't get like I felt like even before the hype it should have gotten. Um, I thought there's some shows that are like the first season of were really good, but then it kind of died off. I like, heard that about True Detective. True Detective is definitely that. Yeah, amazing first season. Right. Uh, I thought the newsroom with Aaron Storkin's show, yeah, yeah, great first season, kind of turned into schmaltz. Yes, by the <laughs> by yes. the end of it, the whole airplane. Um, I don't know if you mm. remember that airplane scene when they found out that we got Bin Laden, mm-hmm. and they oh, that was like Aaron Sorkin can be chose so cheesy sometimes. He man. really can, yeah, he really can. That I yep, that that was an interesting episode. That I remember that episode <laughs> too. And for a comedy. The first season of Flight of the Concords was amazing. Mm-hmm. I loved that. It still makes me laugh. It it fell off after, but I think those are shows that kind of cult following people. And I would tell them, like, after that season, I don't know if you'll like it, but I still will rewatch those seasons. Like, I rewatched the season, first season of the newsroom. I'll put them on. Oh, and sorry, the one, two, um, the one with uh, Stephen Merchant, Hello, Ladies. Great cringe humor. Stephen Merchant, mm-hmm. so funny. Great show. One of the show. creators of the original Office, Stephen yeah, Merchant. Yeah, I, I loved, loved, loved that show. That's that's high. Hello, Ladies. is only had okay. one season, and like the finale was like a hour and a half like movie. Hilarious. Hilarious. Hello, Ladies. Okay. Okay. I, uh, I thought of a couple. So The Life and Times yeah. of Tim. Yes, is yes. one is a cartoon, uh, yep. an adult cartoon that uh, that that I absolutely love. It had so many just little moments here and there that just still live in my brain. The Life and Times of Tim was fantastic, and then one that I first watched it. So it aired in tw- between 2014 and 2017, and I just watched it in 2023. The Leftovers. Oh, I've never seen that. I know Great. about it. I haven't seen it. And I really? think I saw it because I saw it on a list. I think was it Rolling Stone or somebody had a list of like top 100 television shows of all time. And The Leftovers was really high. And I'm mm. like, dang, that one's like, like uh, under the radar. Like that, that one just sort of escaped me. Yeah. So I say, like, I'll, I'll, I'll watch The Leftovers since people hold it in such high regard. It was awesome. It's really good. So it's about like the quick, quick premise of it. Uh, it's about the sudden departure of two percent of the world's population. So two, mm. one day, 2% of the world's population just disappeared. And so it's the ramifications of all of that. Wow. Okay. I might, I gotta give that a try then yeah. over these holidays. Maybe I'll give that one. It's good. Cause I have heard about it, but I've never seen an episode. Yeah. It's deep, but, um, yeah, it's good. Yeah. So the leftovers and would be the leftovers be and the main one and the I life think, times of Tim. Life of times of Tim is really good. Yeah. And I'll say this just to like, you know, just wrap, but like one of the ones that I think, even I debated putting it on this list, and I think as time goes on, I wonder how we'll look at it. But Mayor of Easttown, the, I liked that one. I thought it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I thought for, you know, was that twenty twenty one? I think it or was it twenty twenty two, maybe twenty one when it dropped. But in that still quarantine, but like kind of like where we were, what it did, how it captivated the country, 
and how you know that drama where we all couldn't wait for that who done it it was one of the the reasons the things that brought me back to I, I mean I love the Netflix model of putting all the episodes up at once this brought me back to why I still love it where HBO does that you don't get them all at once because every Monday morning talking about it at work I mean I was at a new job like I mean I'm, I've been there for three years now a way I connected with people was talking about Mayor of Easttown on Mondays and can you believe it and having that who done it and the country kind of like who who do you think did it what do you think happened it, to me is an instant classic and I think we'll I wonder how we'll look at it in a few years and give it that like rightful like place yeah I wonder if people will go back to it because it, it was a really good one I think uh a lot of attention was paid. What do you think about like Kate Winslet's Delco accent? And she nailed it. I th- yeah, it, it, she nailed it. Was a little bit, but like it, she nailed it. That's like, a tough accent to nail, but very tough. I thought she did a good job. And, and I'm biased because I'm from right. you know like and know a lot of people from that area. So right. like it was like oh yeah, like you get used to you know, as accents, you get used to hearing it. <laughs> and I'm like oh okay, and I'm like nah, she, she nailed that one. And the SNL sketch was classic too. Yeah, murder my dirter. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but man, there's just uh so many shows, man. And and please let us know what you think of our list or what are those shows that really define HBO to you? Like hit us up on on Twitter or X at Pop Culture Five and Instagram as well. Follow us, you know, at Pop Culture Five and, and we wanna hear. We wanna know what you think about it and because I know HBO the way Thomas and I talked about it and how much those shows over the years have meant to us. We know there's a lot of fans out there who are the same boat. So please let us know. So Thomas, do you want to talk about what uh, the next episode will be? Yes, sir. So next episode, we're going to do a music episode. Mm. And this came about because we were talking in our Radiohead episode about like, you know, a band or an artist who swung you by seeing them live. Both of us thought of Bruce Springsteen right, right. in that realm. Amazing live performer. Uh, and so we thought, like, you know, someday we're going to do a Bruce Springsteen episode. So I decided this is the time. We're going to do a Bruce Springsteen episode quickly <laughs> yep. after since it was top of mind. Uh, so coming up next week, we're going to be discussing five essential Bruce Springsteen songs. The boss. The, the boss. boss. It's going to be boss time next oh, absolutely. week. Absolutely. And I think... Um, I'm so excited because he's had, I think, more than people think, such an interesting career and just interesting just how he's seen in the public eye. It's really fascinating. Yeah. So I can't wait to dive into that with you. Yeah, yeah definitely. And he speaks to me more so than a lot of other artists do in, diff- in a different way than a lot of music speaks to me. Absolutely. So I'm excited to get into that. So uh, I'm pumped. It's a great choice by you, man. So I can't wait. So... For my partner in crime, Mr. Thomas Senna, I'm Jeremy Dove. Thank you guys for listening to Pop Culture 5. Podcasts and such.